Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Sad Times. I didn't say anything about my voice. My name is Kevin. I'm your host. Uh, For those of you who have never listened to Sad Times before, here's a quick primer. Sad Times is a show in which every week we have a guest on who talks about times they were upset, sad, angry, difficult times in their life, traumas, things that they've gone through. Because at Sad Times, we believe that Everyone has difficult stories, that these are universal stories, but they're not always spoken about. And so they feel a bit kind of sharded and not sharted, sorry, sharded in mystery. (laughs) And we want to bring those stories out into the light through our kind and generous guests. So that's what Sad Times is. We do have a website. It is www.sadtimespodcast.com. Go check it out. All of our episodes are there. Uh, There's a blog. We have some guest blog entries. You can also register there to be a guest. Uh, And if you haven't already, please subscribe and please truly tell a friend about the show. The goal here is to spread these stories far and wide to help people feel less alone. So if you know somebody who could benefit from hearing today's story or any of the stories that you hear, please share this with them. Before we get to our wonderful guest today... Uh, We do have a sponsor, uh, and today's sponsor in Sad Times is brought to you by my late-night film critic-like reflections. Just as I'm half asleep and watching some classic film from the 1970s, I like to think about things like theme and blocking and mise-en-scene and fashion myself a regular Pauline Kael or Roger Ebert. That's my late-night film critic-like reflections. Hey, at least that gives me some meaning for a few minutes before sleep. All right. All right. Cool. Uh, As always, please remember to support our sponsors using the code F-A-K-E. That's F-A-K-E at checkout. All right. Let's get to today's wonderful guest. Um, She is named Sam. Sam, how's it going? Good. I'm good. How are you? (laughs) Oh, I'm hanging in there. Thank you very much. Um, So, Sam, where where are you in, in the world? I'm in Meridian, Idaho, which is right next to Boise. So, okay. Southwest Idaho. <laughs> Southwest Idaho. Okay. And are yep. you from there? No. Well, I'm from Oregon, but I live five, I grew up five miles from the Idaho border. So basically, yeah. But okay. No. <laughs> and you guys are in mountain time, right? Yep. Okay. <clears throat> Um, I, this is a question I've always thought, and maybe I'm the only one who thought this. Whenever you watch, um, television at least back in the day they'd be like on at eight seven central did you ever feel and sometimes say eight seven central five pacific they never said mountain time did you ever feel just you know like you weren't included yes and people still do that like okay all right i go on like i'm part of this networking group and they're always like five pacific seven central eight you know eastern and i'm like what, you you can't put one more in there. I know it's they always forget <laughs> so about good old mountain time, and I I believe it covers a good swath of the old United States. Yeah, yeah, it does. So I just think it's funny. <laughs> it is funny. I mean, I guess our attention spans have been short since then too. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um. And so you grew up, or you you said you were from Oregon, just over the border. Tell us when you were younger, uh, when you and I just uh, talked earlier, you and I talked about something that I, I think some people have heard this term before, but maybe don't fully understand it, called, um, intrusive thoughts. And you had told me that you were about what age when you started having intrusive thoughts? I was 13. Okay. And I remember the very first one I had. It was What was crazy. it? Um, I was just standing next to my grandma and this thought it was like you should hurt her and i was like what in the world was that and then after that like they were just in my life after that i don't know were they was it just every once in a while or did did they pick up consistency or how often would you would you have these thoughts um i don't remember how often i had them when they very first started but um before i was on medication um it was like at least every half hour Wow. So they were like, and then that's why I got on medication because I couldn't handle it. So, yeah. And it's in, I imagine it's not just the thought, right? So it's not just like you should hurt her. Then it's like you said, what the hell is that? Then was there's like shame. Why would I even think that? Am I a weird person? All of, all of these things, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I grew up, um, well, I still am religious, but like, I was like, oh, 
I don't know why I thought this because the religion I'm in doesn't teach this, but I was like, I must be a terrible person and the devil has me, you know? So I have to be like perfect (laughs) so that I don't have these thoughts. Um, but that's not true. That, that is not what that is. Exactly. And I think people would be surprised by how common this is now. Yeah. I don't know if people have them every 30 minutes, as you were saying. Um, one version of this that I know of is if I'm in a very high place, let's say I'm at about, I, I lived on a, uh, uh, in an apartment building in Chicago on the 28th floor and I had a balcony and I didn't like going out on the balcony because my th- first thought would be jump, jump, yeah, even though yeah. I didn't want to and I'm not very athletic. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> so you started having these at 13 you weren't did, were you able to talk to anybody about it? I did not tell a soul mm. because I thought that they would like put me in a mental institution or something or I did I tried to tell my parents but I wouldn't tell them exactly what was going on. I was just like I need help and they're like, "Well, what do you need help with?" And I'm like, "I can't tell you. I just need help." And so they're like, "I don't know how to help you if you're not telling me what's going on, you know?" Right. Were you so you were afraid if you said, "Well, I had this thought that I wanted her grandma that you, they would take you away?" Yeah, I thought that they would. I thought they would put me like in prison or something because I was having these thoughts, and you know, like, what if I might do them? Then they have to protect me from people. Yeah. No, protect people from me. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. So, yeah. how long did this kind of last for you? Like, as something that was. Re- a kind of a regular constant in your life um so it lasted well it's always been pretty consistent except i don't know what happened when i went to college but they decreased when i went to college i think it was stress related because i didn't have as much stress when i was in college compared to when i was in middle school and high school and then after i got married okay and um okay so you got married and then did that change kind of the way that this that your brain was working around these things? I don't know if this had anything to do with it, but I went on hormonal birth control and that made it way worse. And then I think just the stress of getting married, the stress of like, you know, starting that new life, like it just changed me. And so that's when the intrusive thoughts started ramping up again. And were you able to talk to your husband about it or were you still afraid of talking about it? Um, no, I was talking like by this time I was in counseling. I was talking to counselors about it. I told my husband about it. Um, I had learned that intrusive thoughts, like they're not your fault, you know, like it's your brain just doing something that you don't want it to do. Right. So by this time I had been talking to people about it. Okay, good. And, and I'm sure that while it didn't, and correct me if I'm wrong here, while it didn't necessarily take away the sting and, and fear and shame that you felt when these came in, at least being able to speak with somebody else about it probably did it make it a little less um, uh, disruptive to your life? Yeah, because people like I was working with a counselor and she was like, oh, it sounds like you have OCD. And so then I started listening to this podcast about OCD and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is my life. Like that's that's what I have. And so it made it make sense in my brain to where when I had them, they're like, just embrace the thought. Don't try to put it out of your head because that will make it come back more. And so I just was like, okay, I'm having this thought. And then I could move on with life. Like it was still distressing, but it wasn't like, make it go away, make it go away, make it go away. Yeah, that's kind of one of the things that they try to teach you is the moment you try to fight a thought or stop it, it stops and stays with you as opposed to letting it go through your head, right? Yeah, yeah. But because, at least in my experience, because they're so, they give you that uncomfortable, just terribly uncomfortable feeling, you want that feeling done with. And so even now that I'm uh, a 41-year-old man, I, I still try to fight them even though I know that that's not what I should be doing because that feeling is so overwhelming. Yeah, it's super distressing and overwhelming. And then the compulsions that come with the thought are just, it's just all very overwhelming. Yeah. So it's really hard not to fight it, but I did go through it. Like I went through specific exposure therapy for this and that helped a ton. Um, so after that, they were like, just, just let it happen. But it's still like, even to this day, 
I still get thoughts, you know, and I'm like, and I start humming when I start, I'm like, do, 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 do. And I'm like, yeah, I told my husband, I'm like, when I do that, that means I'm having an intrusive thought. And he was like, oh, you do that a lot. (laughs) Yes, I do. Do you have a particular song that you hum or is it just something that you make up? It's literally just do, 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 do. (laughs) Uh, That's what I do every time. Sound like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. 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 Yes, I know that too, because I, I, through therapy, I found I talk to it sometimes. I go, stop, stop, right? You're not welcome here. I say things like that. And then I get kicked out of the Denny's and, you know, it works out. (laughs) So I used to say that too. I'd be like, stop, stop it now. Yeah. And yeah. Did you, um, as a kid and then growing up, so you're, you're, you got more stressed out when you were married. You told me that. You got so stressed out that you gave yourself the symptoms of diabetes. Uh, This was back in college, I believe. It was in high school. Oh, this was in high school. Excuse me. What does that mean? Like, did you tell me about that? I was so stressed out in high school because I wanted to be valedictorian. I wanted to get straight A's. I had, if I wanted to go to college, I had to get a scholarship because my parents were not paying for it. I didn't want to take out student loans. So that's just what was going on. And, um, I don't know why, but my body just reacted physically and I just got the symptoms of diabetes. Like, um, I can't remember everything that happened now, but I looked it up and I was like, Oh, these are all the symptoms of diabetes. And like, I had digestion issues and just, and then the day I graduated, every single thing went away. Really? Yeah. It was crazy. Have you, do you still deal with hypochondria? Uh, yes. Yes. And with my kids, it's even worse because they actually have like, they have things and they like my son has epilepsy and well, he has a bunch of things, but every time they say this is super rare, they, they probably don't have it. I'm like, they do because my kids have all the rare things. And then when they get diagnosed, the doctor's like, this is so surprising. They definitely have this, but it's so rare. Like what? Like my son has um, silent sinus syndrome and there are only 150 documented cases. In the world? That's what, that's what the research says. Like in the research, there's only 150 documented cases. And I'm just like, how, how do you have this? So then that makes my hypochondria even worse because yeah. like, because they, they do have these things. And so I was proven right. And so I'm like, well, what if they have this? And what if they have this? And what if they have this? It's, it's one of the joys of OCD is um, we, uh, well, I'll just say I, I live for validation. And yeah. the problem is when you get validated in the bad stuff that you're worried about, boy, that's a rough day or six weeks, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, so I go off the rails a lot. What does that mean? <laughs> well, like. If something is going on with my kids, mm-hmm. um, well, or for example, I was having some issues like um, bleeding in my colon, you know? And so I was like, I have cancer. I have this like worst case scenario, you know? And then it turns out I just had an infection, but like I go off the rails. I go into Google. You should not go into Google when you have medical issues. Never. <laughs> but that's what I do. And so then I like freak out about it and then we find the answer and it's fine, you know, but, um, but yeah, especially with my, with my middle son, like he has, he's had seven surgeries in his life and all for different things. And so when he, like something happens with him, like he was constipated and I was convinced he had like, I don't even know. I was convinced it wasn't constipation. It had to be something else, you right. know, because he has like all these rare things and he, he was constipated. So. Can, I, can I ask what is silent sinus, sinus syndrome? syndrome? Yes. It's just when your maxillary sinus doesn't grow. So his maxillary sinus, um, the left side was like, it was pretty big, you know, and his right side, what you couldn't see it on a CT scan. And so there's like a tiny pinhole where his maxillary sinus was supposed to be. And so people generally don't find it until like you're a teenager, adult, and your left side or your the side that it's on starts drooping. 
And so your cheek is drooping because the maxillary sinus hasn't grown to like lift up that cheekbone. So we caught it because he started having seizures and they did a CT scan and they're like, oh, like he doesn't have anything that's causing the seizures, but his sinuses are super messed up. And so then they did another CT scan and they found that. Wow. Um, But usually it doesn't happen until you have like physical deformities. Jeez. I guess that's where the silent comes in, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I, I do have to say this. I know, and before we get into <clears throat> some more about your OCD, um, yeah. I commend you, and I mean that because um, one of my big fears in life is having children because I I just, with the way that my brain works, I, I things that you're describing would just probably, I fear would wreck me. And the fact that you're able to not only of course, deal with it, but to speak openly about it is really commendable. So I, I think that that should be said. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so tell me about, um, you know, as we talked about it, and I've said on this show before, lots of people say they have OCD about specific things. I have OCD, you know, people say I have OCD about folders, uh, to which I say I have OCD about life. Um, what are your OCD tendencies? Um, I perseverate on medical things and violence. Like I don't like, I can't watch violent things on TV that will send me like into like, not a good place. (laughs) And then, um, just things that happened in the past. Like if I don't get closure for it, I just perseverate on them and I can't let them go. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, and I, I think it's worth pointing out too, at least in my somewhat limited understanding of OCD, violent intrusive thoughts is actually a pretty common trait of OCD. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do, do you remember where or when you were when you first heard, oh my, this is something that a lot of people deal with? Was Do you remember when you learned that? Yeah, I was in my late 20s. Wow. And I was like, um, how old was I? I was probably like 26. And I was talking to someone about it And they're like, yeah, everyone has those thoughts. And I was like, what? Like, everyone has these thoughts? They're like, yeah, I have like one maybe a week. And I was like, oh, please. (laughs) I have one every half hour. (laughs) And they're like, oh, oh, that's not good. Like, you should get you should get help with that. Uh, So, okay, So and then you said that you couldn't eat things in groups of four. You eat in threes. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I was little, I thought that four was a dirty number. And if I did things in groups of four, I would die. So I like couldn't die. Eat things. Yeah. Like die or get sick or something bad would happen to my parents. Um, right. Just something bad would happen. So three, three was a clean number. Four was a dirty number. Even numbers were not good. I didn't like using the letter D because that was a dirty letter. Um, is it because it's the fourth so, letter of the alphabet? I yes, uh-huh. yeah. And so, but E was fine, um, and C was fine. They were clean letters. Um, so yeah, I just and then I would count out everything that I would eat. So if I was eating a bag of not a bag, I want to eat a bag of M and M's. But if I was <laughs> eating M and M's, I would count out three, eat those. And then count out another three and eat those. But I can never not eat in groups of three. Like I couldn't just have one more. I had to eat in groups of three. If they were like something small like that, you know. Did you, uh, well, you said that anything in fours, you might die or or get yeah. sick. Um, well, my number 16 and I also love four. So I guess that's why I'm perpetually ill. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. So you... We're diagnosed, I believe you said when you were 28 yeah. with OCD. Yeah. So what? tell us about the diagnosis and then kind of the, tr- the treatment. You mentioned exposure therapy, which we're going to get to in a moment. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us about the diagnosis and kind of what was going on in your life at the time. So I had just had, I think my first, I had my first son and he was a, he was less than a year old. And I had gone to counseling before, but I went to like, I'm not knocking student counselors, but it was just not what I needed. Like, I know that they have to go through training. I know they have to practice, but it just, 
I needed more help than he could give me, you know? Mm -hmm. So I went to this new counselor and she was like, she didn't do like a formal assessment or anything. So, but then I went to a psychiatrist later on and they're like, oh yeah, you totally have OCD. (laughs) But when, when I was 28, I went to her and she was like, it sounds like you have OCD. This is why I think that here's some research, like, Here's some podcasts to listen to. Tell me what you think. And I was like, this explains my whole life. I finally understand why I am the way I am. That And again, while it doesn't solve your problems, obviously, yeah, the relief you must have felt, I assume, had to have been pretty tidal. I mean, when I found out that people had racing thoughts like mine when I was a kid, I, I whew, that was a seminal moment in my life. Not because I wanted yeah. them to have those thoughts, but because I wasn't alone. Yeah, and it meant that I wasn't a bad person. Right. That I wasn't evil. That and I, I had pretty much gotten past that by the time I was that old. But um, I, you still have that. Like, why? Like, what am I doing that's causing this? You know, because there has to be something I'm doing that's causing this. Something I can do to make it better. And there's nothing that you're doing to cause it. It's just your brain chemistry. <laughs> right. So how were you? Um. Were you put on any medication? I was not. Well, I was put on um, medication at that time for postpartum depression. Oh. Um, I don't think I actually had postpartum depression. I think I had postpartum anxiety. Yep. Because I wasn't like depressed. I just my like my intrusive thoughts, my racing thoughts were out of control after I had my first son and I just couldn't stop crying because I was having all these thoughts that, you know, I'd kind of gotten under control until then. And it, it was like worse than when I was a teenager. And so I was put on um, a medication at that time that helped me kind of control everything and control my mood. Um, But I wasn't put on anything specifically for OCD. Gotcha. Okay. Um, You told me something called rejection sensitivity. uh, Oh boy. Dysphoria. Dysphoria. Yeah. Now I had never heard that term before. Tell me what that is. So that's just when you take rejection or perceived rejection really hard. So I will go into a room and I will just immediately think that no one likes me, that everyone's just pretending to like me, that my friends just pretend to like me because there's no way that they could actually enjoy my company and want me there. And then so when I was younger, my dad was like, I never had to get mad at you because I just had to look at you the wrong way and you would start crying. (laughs) Oh, man. Like... I was always, when I was younger, I was like, if I make my mom, if I misbehave, then my dad won't like me and he'll leave. And then my mom will hate me because my dad left. And so that's kind of like an extreme version of it. And I have no idea why I thought that, but that's just what I thought. And so um, that's like an extreme version of it that like, people will they just they don't like you you know yeah the a, a lot of my fears have to do with ostracization yeah um and i think it sounds like to me and i'm certainly not a professional um i tend to when i have those fears like you were just talking about it's always the worst case scenario so yeah. one parent leaving and the other parent hating you because that that parent left i mean that's pretty worst case scenario right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's and it got, it's just yeah we're talking about it now it's it's really hard to overstate how difficult it is to have those thoughts and to not only get past them but also live in a world where you're having these thoughts and you can't really feel like you can talk to people about it yeah because then you'll be annoying and they won't like you right you know? <laughs> or, or they'll be they'll look like what Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Or I was just saying, I was always, I've always been super emotional and people are like, you, your emotions, like you're too dramatic. You're too like hyper. You're too, you're just too much. And so I'm like, oh, they don't like me. Everyone's just pretending like they don't want to hang out with me, you know? And this started, I remember this happening since I was like four years old. So I specifically remember having these thoughts when I was four. So it's been a while. 
Wow. Yeah. Uh, and so when around this time you, um, I know that that was, that's kind of, do you still deal with rejection sensitivity dysphoria? Oh yeah. I still assume that no one likes me. So. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, nobody likes Wade, right? Wade, <laughs> don't say anything, Wade, just keep doing your work. Uh, and well, would you, get really low during these times would you get really depressed is that something that you dealt with with your anxiety or was it more an anxiety focused issue that you were dealing with i think i was depressed because i had so much anxiety i don't think i don't know like how those go together but it was never like i'm depressed i'm sad because just i'm that way it was always because i'm super distressed because of the intrusive thoughts i'm super distressed because i have racing thoughts or that I think no one likes me. Like it was never just, I feel blah for no reason, you know? And I don't know how people who are depressed, like feel, but that's just like, there's always like something causing it, you know? And it's, and it's such an, um, it's your experience that these racing thoughts and obsessing over things, it's exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting to use your brain that much. And so, yeah, it's almost like, you know, you could go for a run or you could sit and obsess over everything. You're going to feel, well, you're going to feel worse after obsessing because you're not getting the good chemicals from the run and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But it makes you like you're so exhausted that you don't want to go do physical activity, you know, like exactly. Even though that will help with the obsessive yeah. thoughts, right? Yep. Yep. I believe that's what Joseph Heller called a catch 22, Brent. It's a book. <laughs> 1960. Okay. One. Uh, okay. Tell me about the, one of the counselors you went to and your first, I don't know if it was your first, but, uh, this, this counselor talked to you about exposure therapy. What did, uh, he or she say? So she was actually the one that told me that I had OCD. So I was very grateful to her for that. But then she wanted my husband to come to sessions with me. And in the first session that my husband came to, she was like, she has OCD. She needs exposure therapy. So you need to like do things to expose her to help with that. And no, you should not do that. Like he is not a trained professional. If you're going to do exposure therapy, do it with a professional. So she was like, you know, just do things to bug her. So just, you know, leave. So I, I like my house clean uh-huh. and she was like, just make a mess and just leave it there so that she gets exposed to that or just leave knives laying around. Um, because I, you know, I have like really bad thoughts with knives and I'm like this. So we never went back to her, but that <laughs> it didn't sound right to me. <laughs> yeah. And then she's like, and here's a couples counselor that I recommend. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I actually told my husband on the way home, I was like, if you do this, even jokingly like divorce like i will not live with that so he That's never fair. Did that. <laughs> so explain real fast before we get into your exposure therapy um mm-hmm. i always make a joke about it's a pretty blunt joke it it goes like this fuck exposure therapy okay end of joke uh mainly because i it's terrifying uh yeah. explain what exposure therapy is for somebody who's listening who maybe doesn't know what that means so you go at your own pace, like you work with a, you work with a, you know, like I worked with a psychiatrist, I think he was. Um, and he's just like, this is where I want you to be. So I had a problem with power tools and knives. Like that's what we were focusing on and me being able to watch violent things. Um, because he was like, if you can watch violent things and not have the thoughts, then you can like be around other things. Right. So he would just have me like sit there and hold like a drill, like a power drill Uh and just have it running and just have it sitting by me. And that's what we did until I got used to it. And then it wasn't as distressing as I wouldn't avoid things anymore, you know? So I used to avoid using certain tools because it would give me the distressing thoughts. And so he's like, well, we're just going to sit here for like half an hour and I'm going to talk you through it. And if you like, if it gets to be too much, then we'll stop. But this is what we're going to do. And so that's what we did for a while. And it, yeah, it really helped. When you say he was going to talk you through it, what did that entail? Like, so how, he, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, He would just be like, how are you doing? Like, you're doing great. You know, just talking like that, like encouraging me to keep going 
And then he's like, what are you thinking now? How are you feeling? What is your body doing? Like, what is your body experiencing? You know, like the body sensations. Um, And so then I could learn to recognize what my body was doing so that I could learn to get through that, that I could feel those things and then be okay and get through it. Yeah. And I think that points to why it is very important to do this with a professional and yeah. not say uh, your spouse, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, that's um, that counselor. Oh my word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Um, so when you you you've mentioned compulsions, um, I, I I count I count my steps, things of that nature. What are some compulsions that you have that? And tell me why you think you have the compulsions. Um, so I used to count food all the time to make sure I wasn't, you know, eating in groups of four. Um, I do, I curl my toes. I don't curl my toes. I put my toes on top of each other. Apparently that's not normal. Like I can just put my pinky toe on top of my other toe. Oh, wow. And I just do that when I get stressed out. And so I hate wearing shoes because I can't do that when Uh. I'm wearing shoes. But, um, apparently that's not normal. Like my mom was like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, doesn't everyone do this? And she's like, no. And then I just, um, I, well, you can't see it. People on the thing can't see it, but I like do stuff with my hands where I like move my fingers back and forth. Um, and then I, I push on my joints, um, or the spaces in between my fingers and that calms me down for some reason. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think maybe one of the misconceptions is um and i still don't really understand it but i do these compulsive things too right and i'm yeah. not even thinking about that i'm doing them i just do them because somewhere in my brain it makes me think that i guess the tr- the the thought i have in my head is not true if i do this or it will go away etc yeah. Um, do you try to, like, I do mine very, I try to be as coy as possible. Right. And I'm yeah. sure people catch me doing it, which, which adds to the shame of it. Yeah. I just, um, I don't know. I don't, sometimes I don't realize I'm doing it though. And so then people will be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so. you're like, oh, I was just waiting here in the grocery store checkout line. Yeah. So along with OCD, you let me know that you um, have also been diagnosed with ADHD. Yeah. So ha- when were you diagnosed and, and what were kind of the symptoms of that leading up to your diagnosis? Um. So I have been trying to get diagnosed with ADHD or just get an ADHD assessment for 10 years. Ever since I got married, I've been trying to get an ADHD assessment and all the doctors will be like, no, you have bipolar disorder. You have this, you have that, but you definitely don't have ADHD, but they never actually did an ADHD assessment. And so I finally went to someone and I just, um, I've always talked a lot. I've always had like changing moods, but not to the extreme of like bipolar disorder, you know? So I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but they when they diagnosed me, they're like, you don't really fit this, but we don't know what else to give you. So we're just going to say it's this. And uh, yeah, I don't. It was that I for insurance understand. reasons. Yeah, it was for insurance reasons. So Brent? they're like, we need to check a box to give you medication. So this is the box we're going to check. There's so the, read, there's the bell. Uh, how insurance fucks us all. Okay. More. Yeah. More. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, Whoa, slow down there, buddy. <laughs> the only time I get to do anything, so I got excited. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> no worries. Um, so yeah, I just, um, I couldn't get things organized. Like I was organized in some parts of my life and in others, it was just a crapshoot. Like I just could not get my life together. Um, and then... I always had like the racing thoughts and I talked a lot and I was always doing something. I never felt like I was good enough. Like I always had to keep busy, but I could never, I never recognized my accomplishments. I'm like, Oh, that wasn't good enough. Like we're going to do this. And apparently that's like a sign of ADHD in women that like, you're just never feeling good enough. And you're just always going to the next thing, you know? So I would have a goal and I would accomplish that goal, but then I'm like, oh, but I need to do this. 
I need to keep going. I need to be better. I need to be better. And so, yeah, I just, it got to a point where I just couldn't handle my life. Oh, the paralysis. That is what I was going to talk about. I got so overwhelmed with my life that I had decision paralysis where I just wouldn't do anything. I just sit on the couch and like doom scroll on social media. And I just, I couldn't, I wanted to do things, but I couldn't make myself do the things because it was just too overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and, and, and these are like not, these are like not big decisions. Like, should I move or not? These are small decisions as well. This is like, should I unload the dishwasher? I couldn't make myself unload the dishwasher or fold the laundry or feed myself. You know, like I'm like, oh, it's too much work. It's too much work to eat. I don't want to do that. So I would just sit there and starve um, because it was too much work to decide what to eat. So it got to that point where I was like, I need help. And I was so so tired. I could sleep all day long and I would still be tired. And it's because your brain is going so fast and you're you're just so overwhelmed by everything that it's just exhausting. Exactly. Right. Kind of what we were talking about earlier with the, the yeah. mental energy it takes to, to, to process these obsessive thoughts. So yeah. you, you had mentioned earlier that you were put on some medication um, uh, early in your life and then you... Have you always got the right medication right away or have you had to try different medications? Um, the first time, okay, after I had my second son, there was this big thing like mental breakdown and I tried getting on medication and it took about a year to a year and a half to find the right um, combination, the right dosage and everything to where I actually felt okay. Yeah. So it took a long time. I think that's important. I try to make sure that that's said as often as possible, right? Because yeah. understandably, I think people try medication, they try one and they're like, this doesn't work. And then they, they leave it be. And I'm not saying medications for everyone, not at all. But for, I, you know, the first medication, well, I guess the second medication I was put on uh, was terrible for me. Yeah. And, um, and, but I, you know, I kept going because people wouldn't let me be around them if I wasn't medicated. <laughs> Just ask Brent. Uh, okay. So you got diagnosed with ADHD and how do they treat that? Um, so they recommended counseling and I did get put on medication and that's that's been my treatment. So count- medication was life changing. <laughs> Okay. I want to talk about that in one moment. What why yeah. counseling with ADHD? I guess I've I've never heard that. Um just to learn coping skills, just to learn um different things, how to, you know, live your life with ADHD. I guess, you know, overcoming shame because I'm not doing things that I want to do, or I'm super high achieving, but I don't think I'm good enough, and just learning to chill out. <laughs> That's been like my main focus in counseling right now is to recognize my accomplishments and not worry so much about doing all the things. How, how, and I'm asking for a friend uh, who is me, how do you do that? How are you able to chill, as you said, chill, chill out? I mean, is that just a way that your mindset works? Does the medication help? Is it a mixture of all? So I've just had to like, it's kind of like exposure therapy, I guess, because you just have to like sit down or just do something that brings you joy. That's not work related. That's not related to any of the goals. Like just do a hobby just for the sake of doing a hobby. Like I can't, I have, have a really hard time doing that because I'm like, I need to be doing, I need to be cleaning my house. I need to be working. I need to be doing this. I need to be, I need to be productive. And so, yeah, just working on things like that. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, that, that rings very true to me. Very, very true. Um, you know, I, I look at, at the end of a day, do you do a thing like where you'd get to the end of your day and be like, well, I only did this, this, and this, this day was a waste. Yeah. 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 So if I like, if I spend the day like doing a hobby or doing something that I enjoy, not for this, and 
doing it by myself, not with my family, not working, not, I'm like, well, that was a waste of a day. You said, um, do you, do you feel like you're, so you said not with my family. So it's not, it, is it compounded? Like not only do you feel like you're failing as a productive, I'll, I'll use the term productive member of society or whatever, yeah. but also as your role in a, in, in the family unit, because you're yeah. like, you need time for yourself. Yeah. So if I need time for myself and that's kind of like people in my life, if I go do something by myself, they're like, well, you should be with your husband or you should be with your kids. And so that's been like, ingrained in me that like I should be with them because I need to be building the relationship with them. And if I ever do it, like I went on vacation on a girl's trip, you know, and they were like, well, how, how could you do that? Like you left your husband home. And I'm like, yeah, he didn't want to go. So, and I wanted to, you know, so stuff like that is just, I'm learning that it's okay to do things for me. That's great. I mean, that is really genuinely good to hear. And I think that's probably not talked about a lot. Uh, I think we we have the um, memes or, or TikToks or Twitters. I don't know what it is uh, about self-care and all this stuff. But like this is actually, to me, makes more sense to me. It's not just like, oh, spa day all the time or, you know, what was it on um, – Parks and Recreation, treat yourself or whatever. It's actually a genuine thing of of also allowing yourself to slow down and say, I don't have to do all the things. I think that's really, it's it's really enlightening to hear that. Um, So you you did mention around the birth of your second son that Mm -hmm. you had, uh, you had, I think you called it a psychotic break for lack of a better term. So tell us what happened. What, what, what was the, what was the situation? So I was having like postpartum depression, OCD, anxiety, whatever you want to call it. And then one day, I don't know what happened. It was like five, four or five months after he was born. Um, Luckily, both my kids were taking a nap. And because I had a two-year-old and then a five-month-old. And and I was just sitting on the couch. And all of a sudden, the intrusive thoughts just kept coming in waves. And they were coming and coming and coming. And I could, it was literally like the ocean. That's what it was in my brain. Like the thoughts just kept coming and coming. And I was like, the only way to make this stop is to end my life. And I'm like, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And so, but then that intrusive thought just kept coming and coming and coming. And so I called I called the suicide hotline and they were not helpful. I'm not telling people not to call them, but have a backup in case they're not helpful. Well, you said they weren't helpful. What, what, they what were happened? just like, they were just like, um, they were just like, you need to calm down. It's okay. You need to calm down. And I'm like, I need help. Like I was yelling at them. Like I need help. And they're just like, you need to calm down. It's going to be okay. And I'm like, you're, you're not helping me. So I hung up on them. Um, and then I called the crisis prevention hotline and they're like, well, what, what changes have you made recently in your life that might've caused this? I'm like, well, my doctor told me to increase my medication. So I increased it. And he was like, well, there you go. It's your fault. Did they say those words? It's your fault. They they said, it's your fault. Yeah. They said, it's your fault. Cause I was shocked when they said that. Okay. Like, it's your fault that this is happening because you increased your medication. And I'm like, okay. And so then I hung up with them and I was calling like everyone I knew. And I think my friend answered her phone, but then I got, I was like ashamed to be having this and I didn't want to bother her with it. And so I was just like, I'm fine. And I hung up on her. And then I called my mom, but my mom was in the middle of nowhere, Oregon. And I was just like screaming at her. I was like, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. She's like, I am six hours away. I don't know how to help you, you know? Yeah. And so I don't remember what happened after that. Um, I must have blacked out or something. I didn't black out because my mother-in-law came over and she said I was talking to her and everything. But I don't remember anything until I woke up in my bed and my husband was there. Do you know how much so, time it passed? Um, it was a few hours because I went to sleep and my mother-in-law was taking care of my kids. Um, because my mom like kept calling my mother-in-law because my mother-in-law lived like 20 minutes away from me. 
Gotcha. And so she kept calling her until she answered. And she was like, you need to go to Sam's house right now. Um, and so, yeah, after that, I got help. From and that's, <laughs> I believe that's when you were given the quote unquote, I'm doing the air quotes, uh, bipolar yeah. di- diagnosis, because then insurance would cover the medication, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And yeah, to be clear, I mean, you were calling these crisis hotlines. They are there and they are great resources. It doesn't mean that yeah. in, in the moment that it's it's always going to work, but they are, are, are wonderful resources. I believe it's 988 uh, yeah, for the suicide prevention call. hotline. Yeah. yeah. And um, I went there after this happened. I looked up resources in my area. And just to be clear, because I talked to my doctor about this, I could have called 911 and they would have helped me. But I was afraid that if I called 911, that they would take my kids away. And they don't do that. Yeah. So just to be clear. Yeah. Yes. To to seek help does not mean removal of children. And and it goes back to what you were saying, the shame. Because I cannot imagine not only the horrible, overwhelming feeling of these intrusive thoughts leading to suicidal thoughts, even though you didn't want to do that, and then they won't stop that. And then on top of that is the the shame. Like you said, when you called your friend, you're like, uh, I'm fine. Because you, you didn't even want to admit that this was going on. Yeah. She's like, do I need to come over? I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, and yeah. I definitely was not fine. Yeah. So. And um, it's yeah. really important that you're sharing this. I, I because I I've gone through moments like this. I think a lot of people have. Uh, but again, we don't talk about them be, for a number of reasons. Um, uh, shame being a, a big one. You have one of the coolest jobs. Now, I think yeah. it's cool. Now, I uh, I haven't done it. Right. But you are a music therapist. Tell me yep. what that means. So I just use music to work on non-musical goals. Um, so I work a lot with kids with autism and other developmental disabilities. And we just work on communication skills, motor skills, cognitive skills, social, emotional, any of that stuff. Um, we also do, actually, we do um, music therapy sessions in a drug rehab facility where we work on like community, integrating into the community, um, feelings of shame, you know, letting those go and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's we just use music in a functional way to to accomplish non-musical goals. That is uh well, that's amazing because I mean, music yeah. is kind of the universal language, right? I mean, yeah. It's it's a weird situation when you find somebody who says they don't like music. It's like, "What? That doesn't make any sense." I can understand not liking a genre of music, but not liking yeah. music. Um so like if I were to come to you, say, and say that um I, I can't, let's take something that I, I identified with what you said. Uh, I, I do stuff during the day, but I still don't feel I'm doing enough. And whenever I sit down, I just am, I have racing thoughts about why are you not doing something? You loser, blah, 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 blah. Would that be something where would you, how would you, if there is a way in with music therapy, how would you suggest to use music to help with that? So I would work on coping skills and getting you where you're good, like just, just relaxing, you know, like, so you could do progressive muscle relaxation. You could do drumming. You can like make a playlist and listen to the music. You can go join like a choir or just a drum circle Um, so those are, I would work on the coping skills. And like I said before, like just taking time for yourself. Um, that's where I would start. Okay. Um, and when you say like, uh, just even something as simple as just drumming on the table or trying to drum to maybe music or creating music with the drumming, or is it, is it just about the, the, the movement of the hands and drumming the table? Um, you can, yeah, you can do drumming on the table, body percussion. I was actually in a body percussion band once. That was really fun. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So you just like, we just played on our bodies. Um, and then you can also 
I recommend if you don't want to go out and like join a drum circle, drum circles are amazing because they increase that feeling of community, um, empathy. It's a good way to connect with others in a non, um, what's it called? Like just in a comfortable way because you can be in a drum circle and just like play an egg shaker, you know? So you get, you have a little egg shaker and you just like shake it back and forth and you get all the benefits of music just by playing that egg shaker. Um, if you're just alone though, I recommend, you know, you can get a drum, you can play on your table, whatever, and just put on your favorite music and just drum along with the music. Um, you can also do affirmations where you sing the affirmations and drum at the same time and you get the benefits of music while you're also doing your affirmations. What would be the that. example of an affirmation that you would sing? So like, I am so I like to say I am a peacemaker because I get very angry. So I have to remind myself that I'm a peacemaker. <laughs> um, so you get a drum. I don't have one next to me, but you're like, I am a peacemaker and just like drum and sing. And you get all the benefits of singing and drumming while you're like doing your daily affirmations. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I, yeah. And it is it to get your, your brain outside of the thought pattern that you're on? Is that the goal here? Or does it totally um, change the way your brain is working and that's what it does? So music can make new neural connections in your brain. So the more you do it, it can make new neural pathways in your brain. When um, someone might have a brain injury, this is like an extreme version of it. But um, there was a Gabby Giffords. Look her up. She's yep. super great. Um, She's amazing. Story about overcoming and also how music therapy works because she had a music therapist on her treatment team. Really? And so she couldn't speak because her speaking center was obliterated when she was, um, yeah, she was a congresswoman or running for Congress in Arizona in 2010, I believe it was. And she was shot at an event outside a grocery store. Yeah. Yeah. So she was shot. She was shot in her head and it obliterated her communication center. And so they use music and speech therapy and they were able to make new neural pathways in her brain to the uninjured part of her brain so she could then she sang first and then she could speak. So there's this really cool video. She can't speak, but she can sing You Are My Sunshine. And then the new neural pathways are made and then she starts speaking. Wow, that is so cool. And it's all through, by the way, You Are My Sunshine, Sunshine. if you listen to the lyrics of that song, that's a depressing song. So it's super depressing. It's so sad. Like it so it's much. so sad, but a nice, yeah. a nice refrain. So yeah. she was yeah. able to sing to create pathways back to be able to speak again. That is yes. amazing. That is amazing. Amazing. Um, and then I think you said you did deep work music for ADHD, people with ADHD, yeah. What um what does deep what does deep work music mean? So just if you go on YouTube, you can pop, put in like brown noise or deep work music for ADHD. Like you just YouTube that and it will come up. And so it's not like your typical music, but it helps people with ADHD. It just helps their brain get in the right frame where they can actually do work and not be distracted. So I listen to tongue drum music and I never understood what people Tongue drums are just like yeah, what? <laughs> like it's like it's a toned drum. A toned so, drum. Yeah, so mm -hmm. you play it, and it just doesn't make you know like that normal like drum sound. It's actually different tones, so you can like play songs on it and stuff. Okay. Um. So it goes by like tongue drums, happy drums. Happy drum is like the um name brand of one of them, and you can just play that. And that sh relaxes me more than anything else in this world. Like I just play that and I'm instantly relaxed. Okay. So I wanted to show someone what tongue drum music was one day. And so I just Google, I, I YouTubed it and I said, you know, tongue drum music and I put it on and I've never understood what people meant when they were like in the flow and they're working and they're not distracted and all of that. But I listened to that and I was like, oh, like I got in the flow. Like I wasn't distracted. I was just doing my thing and I wasn't trying to click on a million different things to work on, you know, like tabs on the internet. I right. was just like doing my one thing. 
And so that's what, that's what different music can do for people. You just have to find the right one for you. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting because when I write or, you know, when I'd be at work, um, certain types of music often for me at least, and this, this might sound anathema to trying to, but like metal, heavy metal, really loud music really helps me focus in and just go, 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 go. Um, so it's, it's, it is interesting because I never think of it as therapeutic, even though of course it is. Um, I just think of it as this is a way that I can shut out the world and focus my brain, which I guess is yeah. kind of what it's doing, right? Yeah. You also said like improvising. If somebody, if you have a guitar or a piano around the house, trying to create something, because doesn't that use a different part of your brain to do yes. that? So when music uses is one of the only stimuluses that um, activates um, your whole brain. So you can improvise and you get all the benefits of music. Like it can, you know, relieve stress, increase empathy, um, increase your immune system. It can genetically like on a DNA level, reverse stress on, in your body. So yeah, that's all those things that you can get from music. There's a ton more, but I'm not going to say all of them. <laughs> See, Brent, the Beatles are changing DNA. Yeah. Don't do that. It's not nice. Uh, and who do you mostly work with in your in the work that you do? Like, is there a group of people, younger people, older people, or is it kind of the whole spectrum? Just because of the way funding works, which is very unfortunate, um, I mostly work with kids who have developmental disabilities. Um, I also work with adults who have developmental disabilities in Idaho. There's a special Medicaid waiver that you can get on. And so that pays for that. Um, but there are music therapists like in prisons and hospitals in geriatric facilities, um, you know, drug rehab places, eating disorder clinics, like there's music therapists everywhere. Um, but that's who I work with. Wow, that's that's so cool. Do you, what is some of your favorite outside of you know the the tongue drum music as you were saying? Are there any artists like what are some of your favorite artists? Just out of curiosity. Um. Well, I'm a Taylor Swift fan right now. Okay, sure. <laughs> uh, but I really like. Um, oh, what they sing on top of the world? Like, is it Imagine Dragons that sings that? I don't. I, unfortunately I don't know. know. Anyway, I like just dance music and stuff that I can dance to, stuff that I can sing to. I really like 80s music. So Bon Jovi. Yeah. Um, the album that came out in 1986 is like my favorite album of all time. Slippery When Wet? Yeah, Slippery When Wet. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love that album. And I listen to it. Like before I had to do a presentation, I will listen to it to like pump myself up. There was a, the other day I was driving uh, and I had the radio on and I think it's, you give love a bad name, maybe there's yeah. a line that says I was just driving and, you know, and it's a, the past is a prison that you can't, and you can't break free or something. I'd heard that song 7 billion times and I thought, oh, yep, that's right. You got it, John Bon Jovi. Yeah. <laughs> you got yeah. it. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, those are, those are good sing-along songs, even though they're very high. Some of them are very yeah. high. You know, uh, Sam, as I've said, a lot of the stuff that you've been sharing today, I think is really brave. It's very beneficial uh, to, I, I think, so many people. And, and I really appreciate it. And as we're wrapping up, is there anything else that maybe you wanted to say that you did not get a chance to say during the um, uh, conversation? Um, I just want to say, I, I kind of said this, but just if you're having like intrusive thoughts, if you're having, if you're distressed in any way and you feel like you need help, just get help. Like it's nothing to be ashamed about. It's literally your brain chemistry and there's nothing that you did to cause it. Just get help. And if the doctors won't help you find a new doctor, you know, Mm-hmm. And or, uh, and I'm not kidding, put on some Bon Jovi. Yeah, that'll for help. Real. Um, yeah. Sam, thank you so much for your time today and, and for sharing your story. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. And um, 
uh, Brent and I are going to start, and Wade are going to start a letter writing campaign to get the Mountain Time Zone mentioned for once <laughs> in our goddamn lives. Uh, when you know they're telling us when the rerun of Seinfeld will be on. Yeah, uh, please do. <laughs> okay, I, I will. Um, okay. Thank you so much, Sam. I really appreciate yeah. it. Um, yeah, thank you. And to everybody else out there, I'll end the same way that I always try to end, which is to say that there is always room for kindness and grace, even with ourselves. Um, There is always room for kindness and grace. And we'll see you next time on Sad Times. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.